Hi, I'm 330 from Linux Cranks, and I'm live at Linux Fest 2009, and you're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. friends and neighbors and welcome to Linux in the Ham Shack. My name is Richard KB5JBV and I am Satan's left testicle. Let me introduce my partner down out there in the pine forest in Arkansas, Russ K5TUX. Say hello to everybody, Russ. Hello everybody. This is Russ K5TUX up on one of the peaks in the pine forest, north central Arkansas. I somehow managed to get two days past my 40th birthday. And I am completely and utterly prepared for this podcast to the point that I even know what the music is going to be before the podcast is recorded. Good, so he can make witty comments before the breaks. Something like that. So either I've decided to take some newfound responsibility in my youth of old age, or the universe is close to ending. So, back to Bald Springs. Well, you know, Russ, Russ is one of the best partners I could ever had, could have because he is sensitive to my needs, and he knows at this time of year I just kind of like chill. Not like a month ago when apparently we had some sort of sugar rush going on. But that's okay. We're going to move on. Uh, one thing I w- do want to say before we move one step further, and it probably won't even make the cut, but that's okay. We're recording this on December 8th, which is the anniversary of the passing of John Lennon. And I want everybody out there to know that we observe it or have been observing it over here on this end. It's been 29 years and we still miss the guy. So, uh, Y'all take a little time, go over to YouTube, watch some of the videos, and that kind of stuff. With that, unless Russ has got something else, maybe we'll just move on to feedback. I don't have anything to add for that. I don't keep track of John Lennon's death. However, I'm probably going to remember that for the rest of my life now. So thanks for the uh, little bit of extra trivia. And I guess we can move on to feedback. Well, let's see. He, had, he got shot five times and he had seven bullet holes. All righty. So first up on the feedback, let's see what we got. We got one from Storm Advisor. That'd be Matt, KC8BEW. Yeah, KC8BEW. Thank you, Matt. And we're going to move on to the next piece. All right, next one up. <laughs> <laughs> Russ and I have been working together on this for almost over a year now. And the fact of the matter is, he doesn't understand that I come in here unprepared every time. <laughs> well, I think we both achieve a certain level of unpreparedness, sometimes more than others. 
That's right, but I, mine's laziness. I don't want to know what yours is. Anyway, first up is from uh, Matt, KCABW, and uh, Matt was uh, letting us know about uh, a new a new Linux forums that has come online recently. Apparently, Linux Journal has finally gotten the hint that there are amateur radio operators out there, and I can't say that because it's my understanding one of their first uh, two or three issues had a bunch of stuff in it about ham radio. And once again this month, this month's issue of Linux Journal is has quite a bit of stuff in it relating to amateur radio. So uh, if you know, if you can figure out a way to get your hands on a copy of that, go ahead and do so. The uh, new forums are called Linux Journal's Virtual Ham Shack, and that's going to be over at the uh, Linux Journal site, uh, www.linuxjournal.com. And uh, you ought to be able to find it from there. If not, linuxjournal.com stroke content stroke welcome dash ham dash shack. Y'all go on over there and check it out. I'm sorry for not reading this whole thing but uh that's pretty much what's going on linux journals finally put up some uh forums for the ham ham radio operators over there. russ what do you think about that i think it's great and if you want to get to that stuff directly by the way you can go to www.linuxjournal.com stroke ham and that will take you right to their ham radio content and I got an email a couple of months ago actually from carly who's a ham radio operator and i don't have her call sign handy uh, but they uh, are interested in doing some stuff with us since their their little piece of the, the pie and ham radio is pretty much along the same lines as what we're doing. And, in fact, the articles that I saw that were published in Linux Journal reiterated some of the things that we've said almost to the word. Uh, I've been in touch with uh, Dave, who is the primary leader of the ham radio stuff over there, KG4GIY, and it looks like, at least preliminarily, that we will have them both on for an interview slash roundtable with the Linux Journal ham radio folks for the episode we record on January 5th, first one of the new year. At least uh, David said that that would work, and I haven't heard from Carly yet, but I assume it'll be okay with her, and if it's not, we'll just move it somewhere else. And I also want to mention that uh, Kent plugged us over there in a comment on the Linux Journal website when they were talking about the new ham radio content. Kent went over there and told everybody in a comment on their post about Linux in the ham shack and then emailed us and told told me about the Linux Journal content and all of that, which I already knew about, but I didn't know about the posting. So. And Linux in the ham shack should be listed there as a resource here pretty soon. Looks like we got good things going on between us and Linux Journal, and hopefully uh, that picks up pretty soon. Well, y'all need to thank Kent, thank Kent if y'all run across him, Kent uh, VK4KEH, if y'all run across him, because not only does he help promote the show in his, in his when he whenever he can do so, he sends us a lot of information. We're able to keep up with a lot of stuff because of Kent. He's a really valuable asset. In fact, he's almost as valuable as Bill. Yes, Bill. Bill, out there in the wilderness. Keep working on it, Bill. All right, so let's move on to the next one. And uh, I'm looking forward to that Linux Journal thing because I, I like that bunch. They're down in Houston, so, you know, 
got to be cool. Anyway, so the next one I got here, I have here, is from Kent, of all things. And it was just a note to uh, let us know. Uh, you guys can use uh, use this or not, if at all. It's up to you, but one of you will have to provide the intro. And what he's talking about is uh, he had contacted me here a while back about uh, what we look for in a segment for the show. Now, without ha- taking the opportunity to consult with Russ, I pretty much told him uh, five minutes to 20 minutes and uh, try and keep it as compressed as possible. Don't be doing a bunch of ums and ahs and ohs like Richard does and everything else. And, you know, y'all send in your audio, and we will, sure enough, do our best to get it on air. I'm I'm going to turn Russ loose because he's a sound guy here in just a minute. I, th- I think we probably need to stay away from large, uncompressed files if possible. We have the space for it, but uh, as far as getting it to go through the mail program, that may be another matter. So uh, what do you think about that, Russ? I already took a listen to Kent's audio, and it came in in a weird format, and I wasn't sure what was going on with it. But I managed to run it through Audacity and got it cleaned up and everything, so it's ready to go. And I figured we would air it uh, at the beginning of segment two tonight, just because it's about five minutes long, and it's a pretty good overview of Ontario GNU Linux Fest. So we'll uh, give Kent that airtime. And then as far as sending in audio, our episodes sometimes run into two gigabyte wave files, but if you can send it in AUG or MP3 or something like that, which is actually compressed and make it less than less than a gig would be nice, but at least uh, <laughs> so I don't have to strain my uh, Audacity program trying to get it into the into the program. If you have any content, you know, feel free to forward it. We'll uh, use pretty much anything as long as it has Linux and or amateur radio content in it. And, uh, yeah, try and keep the uhs and ahs, even though we do that horribly, to a minimum, because I have to edit all that stuff out. Feel free to send us anything that interests you or that you may have done for another thing or whatever, and we will try and get it into the show. Yeah, because Russ is going to have his hands full just cutting and pasting the first few minutes of this show tonight. Well, however long it's been. But, uh, yes, thank you, Kent. And if any of y'all want to send in a segment, go ahead and do so. I'm sure Russ and I are going to gonna need to get together and try and uh, work on a document we can place on the website given uh, some of the guidelines for it so that we're all on the same page. So, okay, the uh, next one I've got on this end, and I'm going to have to let Russ read a few, but I'm going to keep going here a minute was from Kent, again, KE4KEH, and it was a show suggestion. And he says, hi, guys, how about installing distros from Live ISO onto a USB thumb drive such that the uh, installation is persistent? I can install and update now with no problem, but the distro thinks it's still a live CD with no or default password. Kent v 4 K-E-H. I didn't get the time to run over there today, Kent. Things have been kind of busy here. But there is a website out there. I believe it's called Pen Drives or something. Russ would probably know. Uh, Russ, do you know the website I'm talking about? Yeah, it's pendrivelinux.com. That's where I actually got my install for 
Lennox Mint that I put on a netbook a few episodes back, and it's in one of our show notes. So if you go to the website and do a search in the lower right-hand column for pen drive, uh, one word, it will bring it up, and you'll you'll find the website. Well, there you go. And, uh, yes, that's one of the things that we probably need to cover. We didn't cover it in the initial shows, and uh, that's something that I'm kind of interested in because we're starting to move more and more towards uh, – some of the stuff that I run primarily on Linux here in the ham shack, as far as MCOM, MCOM use and that kind of stuff, it would benefit me to have a thumb drive to uh, have a distro on, ready to go, with the uh, software pre-configured that I can just plug into a machine wherever I'm at if I don't bring the machine with me. So that's one of the things we need to uh, look into and try and get on the show for y'all. Thank you, Ken. I'm going to read one more, and then we'll, we'll turn... Turn the rest loose for a little bit. Uh, next one I've got over here is uh, from Rich, KD0BJT. And uh, Rich writes, Hi, guys. I enjoy the podcast from here in Colorado. And I like the idea of podcasting so, so much that my son Brady, KD0BJS, and I started one as well. We produced our first episode this weekend. This email came in at the first of the month, so uh, according to Jerry Taylor, I was talking to him about it today. They're up to episode two. I linked to your podcast from ours, and I hope that that is okay. A brief mention about our podcast on a future episode would really help us out. The address is www.lowswr, just run it all together, lowswr.com. We don't have a feed yet, but it's coming soon. Thanks, and 73, Rich, KD0BJT. Well, I went over to Rich's site, and uh, I think what he was talking about when he said they don't have a feed yet is that they are not don't have an iTunes feed yet. So you may have to go over to the website to pull it down. I was thinking that I plugged it in RSS uh, as the RSS feed, but I, I don't think I did that. I think I just downloaded the first episode so I could listen to it. Y'all go check this out. Their first episode has got my first episode on the other show beat, hands down. This show has potential. Jerry Taylor and I spent some time talking about it this afternoon on Twitter really think these guys are probably going to be able to make a go of it. Speaking of which, for those of y'all that think Jerry Taylor disappeared, he's back, and he's back with a vengeance. In fact, he's more motivated than he has been. But let's get back to uh, Rich and Brady. Rich and Brady, uh, you guys keep up the good work because it's sounding good at the get-go, and it can only get better from there. Have you had a chance to check this out, Russ? I did listen to the first episode of Low SWR today, as a matter of fact. I heard about it on the Practical Amateur Radio podcast, since Jerry is, in fact, back, and it was kind of good to hear that podcast again as well. So congratulations, Rich and Brady, on doing the father-son podcast thing. It sounds good, and it will only get better with time. And I have, just as we speak here, put a link to the Low SWR podcast on the Linux in the Hamshack website. Hopefully that will drive some more people your way. So good luck with that, and I look forward to listening to future episodes. Like I said, y'all go check this out. Low SWR. They're in the low episodes right now. You know, we sent y'all over to Teen Radio Journey, and uh, I'm not sure what happened to Paul. He's not with us tonight in the uh, chat room, but he'll show back up 
when he can. Being a holiday, he's probably at church. But uh, y'all go check this out. It's got potential, and I am uh, looking to see uh, great things come out of this show. And they've always got Jerry Jerry Taylor close at hand for for assistance because he says he's only about 25 miles away. So with that, let's go ahead and uh, let Russ talk for a while because uh, Rich had done four emails already and not let poor little Russ read a single one. What you got over there, Russ? Well, the first one I have on my list is, well, it came from a Google alert. And it's from a WordPress blog from Gary, K-E-2-Y-K, where he references an article by Martin, A-A-6-E, about thoughts on how ham radio and Linux and open source software fit together, which is exactly what we're all about. And they don't mention us specifically. However, the K-E-2-Y-K blog which is at ke2yk.wordpress.com, has a link to us. And I thought this article was really good. You can read uh, both Gary and Martin's thoughts here, and I'm going to read a little bit of an excerpt. So you can uh, go out and check check out these uh, sites. I just gave you Gary's, and the other one is blog.aa6e.net. That's Martin's. And here's a little bit of the beginning of the article. How to explain to a non-computer geek ham what open source software and Linux are all about? OSS and Linux are important to software users the same way a good repair manual and schematics are important to hams. Not every ham knows what to do with schematics, but those who are inclined to open up, understand, repair, and modify their equipment certainly do. Without being able to see what's inside and what connects to what, there is very little you can do. That's exactly why you need to be able to access and work with source code when it comes to software. And it goes on from there. It's an entertaining article, brings up some good points, it's thought-provoking, and Gary's interpretation of the original article is also worth the read. So check out uh, Gary's blog, ke2yk.wordpress.com, and Martin's blog.aa6e.net. And what do you have to add to that? Haven't had an opportunity to check that one out. Apparently it slipped through my net of Google Alerts. But that's okay. That's okay. One thing I will say is you guys must have gone nuts after the last show came out because the Google alerts went crazy. They were, I had six and ten of them a day, every day. And it's just a mention here, a mention there. We're, we're getting the word out. People are definitely putting the word out on us. They're blogging about us, talking about us. Even those 415 Japanese emails I got last week that were all in Japanese, so I assume they were good. The word is getting out. The word is getting out, and I am so proud of you folks. Y'all keep up the good work, because the more people we have coming in here, the more we can spread the love. So what else you got, Russ? Let's see. The next thing I have is that we got another Google alert that says we are linked to via the Fresh Ubuntu website. And I wanted to mention the Fresh Ubuntu because Harlem Quintano, Quiano, something like that, and Peter Nicolaitis do a great show. I've been kind of backlogged on their podcast because I've been listening to a bunch of other ones, especially the, some of the newer ones that are coming out. But you can find Fresh Ubuntu at freshubuntu.org, and you can check them out on IRC, too, if you're an IRC-type person. They're at uh, Freenode under hash Fresh Ubuntu. So give Harlem and Peter a listen. It's uh, good information. It's not entirely about Ubuntu. It's about Linux and open source and security and 
anything they can think to talk about, sort of like what we do over here. And they've been going for quite a while, and it's, uh, it's an entertaining listen. So go ahead over there, and we already linked to Fresh Ubuntu from our website at Linux in the Ham Shack, so you can you know come to our site and click over to there if you want to check it out. Well, there you go. I've been uh, I've been knowing Harlem and uh, Peter for a while. Let me tell you, they're both great guys, and they've got a, a pretty doggone good show over there. They've kind of got it under control, where sometimes it's kind of iffy here. You know, uh, Linux and Ham Shack's like uh, riding a tiger. <laughs> you you can't let go of it and try and jump off because you're liable to get bit. But them guys really got it covered, man. And, uh, you know, Peter, Peter is, uh, top notch, knows his stuff. He, he runs his own company. So, uh, you can really get a lot of good information out of them. And they do something over there called the man page minute. If you're interested in man pages or what's going on with uh, some of the command line stuff, uh, they can really help you out that way too. Just, uh, listening to them. And these guys are great. Yeah. The, they've linked, they linked us up a while back and we linked them up and, uh, uh, if y'all are listening, Harlem and Peter, uh, y'all keep up the good work and we appreciate all the help y'all thrown this way. With that, I guess, uh, what else you got, Russ? As I said, I've got a lot, but I'll do one more and then I'll throw it back to you. We've also got another link from the Bluff County DXers Association. They linked to our website and that came in as a Google alert as well. They are in La Crosse, Wisconsin. We want to mention them because uh, they have an interesting website, and I'm not sure how many of our listeners are in the La Crosse, Wisconsin area, but if you are, you might want to check them out if you don't know them already. Uh, they have a club call, which is Whiskey 9 India Delta X-Ray, and that's where their website is, www.w9idx.com. So go over there and check it out, and we want to thank them very much for linking over here and Hopefully that means that they're listening to us. But even if they're not, at least they're letting everybody know that we exist. Yes, we always like it when folks are putting out the word on our show and everything else, especially when these clubs are linking to us because the more the clubs are linking, the more information is getting out that direction. Uh, I, on the other show, had a run-in with a club, but uh, that doesn't mean that we are not sensitive and don't care about the clubs. We want y'all to uh, be a part of the podcast just as much as anybody else. Let me uh, jump back over here and see what else I have on my plate. The next one comes from Ben, VK5JFK. And I don't know if that's an accident or not. But anyway, it, he he was pointing a question at Bill because uh, the article he was referring to was the one where uh, Bill had sent in an article about uh, or posted the article about Linux Mint. What it says is, Bill, I am about to get my feet wet with linux mint have you managed to get zastar installed or to work now a little a little further on up bill uh, replied i have not tried installing zastar with mint but i have installed it under ubuntu from the repository and it works straight away i'll try it again under mint as soon as i have a chance i'm also thinking of trying an upgrade to mint 8 so perhaps I'll do both. Thanks for the comment, Bill K9WKA. I don't normally read Bill's emails for him, but uh, this one is kind of important. It hadn't been too long ago where I set up a disaster station here running uh, Ubuntu. And all you guys out there, we have finally figured it out, and I know we're going to get some comments in the chat room, 
it should run out of the box. If it's in your repo, it should run out of the box. Uh, it doesn't depend on some of the uh, AX25 stuff that other types of packet radio require under Linux. And uh, when I installed it over here under Ubuntu 904, I got it out of the repository. I clicked install. When I got it installed, I turned on the TNC, made sure it was in host mode, fired everything up, worked like it was supposed to. I'm sure it'll probably run on Linux Mint because Linux Mint is normally one version behind Ubuntu, just like uh, Crunchbang. All right, so what do you think about uh, Zastar and Linux Mint, Russ? Still haven't played with Zastar, working on it. Got my digital stuff set up. All except the fact that I'm neither going to get a uh, Rig Blaster Plus or one of those USB sound card interfaces. I haven't figured out what yet, but as soon as I get around to one of those, I'm going to try Zaster out. And the thing of it is I put a new computer in over on my uh, over in my shack, and it doesn't have a sound card built in. And it has a really strange set of slots in it for cards. It has a PCI... Uh, PCIe 1x, a PCIe 2x, and one regular PCI slot. So I don't have cards that fit any of those. I mean, I have a PCI card, but I don't have a PCI soundboard handy. So I'm going to have to go pick something up. And uh, once I do that, then I'll be able to uh, get on the digital modes again. One of these days, I'm going to try out APRS Zaster, you know, with Zaster and all this good stuff. Until then, all opinions will be yours. Well, no, they're not all mine because Bill, K9WKA, is in the chat room tonight, and he's telling me uh, at this time that disaster works right away under Mint. He only had a couple of small issues in order to receive maps, receive stations on the map. I had a kind of similar situation, but it was a matter of me not uh, checking the proper boxes and stuff. And uh, once I got that worked out, it, like I said, it worked just like it was supposed to. And since I was had it set up where I was downloading the maps instead of putting them on the hard drive, uh, it ran a little on the slow side, but these are things that you can work out over time. And there is currently a fresh article uploaded the day of this recording over at the Linux and Hamshack website. Y'all go over and check that out. Uh, that's pretty much all the actual feedback I have. I have, uh, oh, wait a minute. I missed one. I missed one. This one. And the reason I pull this out is because uh, this particular email comes from Ed Middlebrook, KC5NT. Ed and I have in the past, since I've resigned as assistant section manager in the North Texas section, uh, we no longer are, but Ed and I were assistant section managers under two or three of the same section managers. So uh, let me give this a spin. It says, Russ and Richard, I really enjoy LHS, and I'm an extra-class operator. First licensed in 1977 at 16. I manage a team of Windows developers, but for my shack, I'm 100% Linux and open source. I use Ubuntu 9.04 with FLDigi and Xlog. It's great to have an operating system that is very easy to use and does not suffer from malware and viruses. My amateur radio activities include... Single sideband, CW, and digital HF communications, VHF, UHF, emergency management, and storm spotting. I'm also an amateur radio instructor, volunteer examiner, 
assistant Aries manager for McLennan County, Texas. That's, uh, for those of y'all who aren't from Texas, that's down in the Waco area. And assistant section manager for the ARRL's North Texas section. I made a modest donation to your Dayton fund. Keep up the great work and 73. This means a lot to me that Ed Middlebrook will uh, send in an email to us telling us that he enjoys the show because he's one of those guys that I we've never been in the same room or at least not known that we were in the same room together. But uh, I've got a lot of respect for, for Ed because I've heard a lot about him. So uh, you got anything on that, Russ? Well, I just had down the donation because I got that a couple of days ago, I think. And I'll get into donations here in a minute, but that, that was the only thing I had because I didn't see that email if I even got it. You got anything else over there, Russ? Well, we have a couple of more mentions. I'll do these real quick. Uh, we were mentioned in uh, Ripples in the Ether. Uh, that's Jason NT7S's blog. Uh, we've been linked back and forth uh, over there for quite a while, so I think that's sort of redundant information, but came through in a Google alert. Uh, another Google alert showed that Richard apparently sent in some feedback to the Going Linux podcast and got mentioned in episode number 86. I, I listened to that episode, but I don't remember what the feedback was all about. It was me telling them to tell a guy that was complaining about how they run their show to bite their butts. <laughs> well, that sounds like you. Well, Larry knows how I am. <laughs> And then we had one more, which I just wanted to mention the site because it's um, it's a blog, and they link back to us. And this one was kind of unusual, at least, from some of the blogs that we've been mentioned on, so I kind of wanted to mention the site. The site is technet.147120.com, and that's a blog and website, and it's a technical net, a literal on-the-air technical net, that happens in the Orlando, Florida area every Wednesday night on the 147.120 repeater, two-meter repeater down there in Orlando. And they link to us as a resource, which I hope means that they're actually listening to us as a resource. And so we wanted to mention them so that if you happen to live near or are visiting the Orlando, Florida area, check out the 147.120 repeater on Wednesday night. They have a 103.5 hertz PL. Get on there and talk tech with those folks. And if you happen to do that, make sure to mention us and tell them that we mentioned them. So anyway, that's that, 147120.com. And the only thing I have left after that is donations. So what do you got? Well, what I'm thinking is uh, we're probably at the point right now that some of these folks might need a break. How you feel about that? All right, we can do that, and I can talk about money on the other side. Y'all go on and grab you something to drink and uh, walk around a minute. And uh, Russ is going to play some uh, set some music playing, and then he's going to indulge in some crustacean porn. We'll be right, right, right back. Gates move to let it pass. Deep within, onto the grass, I will 
her back. Now, I hope that, uh, I hope that Russ didn't get butter all over everything, but, uh, we're going to run through the list of, uh, folks that, uh, threw a donation into the send us to Dayton fund. Go ahead, Russ. Okay. Well, we already talked about one of the donations from Ed, KC5NT, and he's down there in the Waco, Texas area, and he donated to the Send Us to the Dayton Hamvention Fund. We also got a donation from Bill, our own Bill, K9WKA, sent us a donation. So thank you very much, Bill, and also thank you very much, Ed. Don't want to forget to thank Ed, KC5NT. I was a little surprised to see that Bill actually sent in a donation since you kind of put in a lot of hard work on the podcast. And by the way, it's no fair in making the show notes better than the show. Okay, just so you know that. But anyway, thanks, Bill. We also got one from Doug, N6LMX, uh, one of those very, very uh, generous donations from Doug. I want to thank Doug, N6LMX. We got one from... A gentleman in Ireland, I believe it is, who was corresponding with us via feedback an episode ago. And that's John, E-I-7-I-G, who sent us a donation as well. And then I noticed that in the chat room, we just had a couple of people show up. KC9QYB, which is Paul from Teen Radio Journey, who, after a short span of being absent, did manage to show up. And then we see, or I see, that Walter, WN3LIF, has shown up in the chat room, apparently a couple of minutes after making a very, very generous donation to the fund. Well, I was going to mention that, and that's why I was asking him to make sure uh, what was going on, because that did come in about 15 minutes ago. And uh, Walter, thank you. Thank you very much. Sorry, Russ. Oh, no problem. Thank you very much, Walter. That is greatly appreciated. And I went over to the website to see how close we're getting to uh, where we need to be. And, of course, all these donations have come in really recently, and I haven't had a chance to match them yet. So I went and actually uh, totaled up how much I'm going to have to match here in the next day or two. When I make that match, we're going to be about two-thirds of the way there, over 500 of the 750. Not sure exactly how much, but it's, you know, it's a bit premature to say, I guess, you know, I mean, we're we're about 12 minutes into the fourth quarter here or whatever, and it's looking pretty good for getting out to Dayton. Well, there you go. And since we've, um, is that all the donations, Russ? That was all the ones that came in, unless uh, there's one that came in. Let me click my little refresh button just in case, you know. Well, I don't think there was. And while you're doing that, let me go ahead and say, uh, for those of you within the sound of my voice, it is v- quite conceivable that not only will Russ K5TUX from Linux in the Ham Shack be in Dayton, but Richard KB5JBV may very well be there also. I've had a, uh, a listener step forward to provide uh, airfare and lodging for me should I go to Dayton whenever it is, I think it's May. If we can swing getting getting everything else squared away, then uh not only will you see Russ roaming around in the vendor area and Richard roaming around in the vendor area and Cheryl sitting at the table, but uh you you liable to see both of us there at the same time, grinning, acting up, cutting up, and having a wonderful 
wonderful time. And I just hope they put me close enough to shoot spit wads at the icon, people. <laughs> I'll make sure that's a special request when I ask for a booth up there. And I kind of always assumed that if it was going to be one of us, it was going to be both of us. I didn't know you were thinking of ducking out on me. Well, no, I just had to swing it. <laughs> I'm not a rich man like you. You know, I have to have, like, bacon. You can afford crustaceans. No, I, I ate fake crustaceans. I see. Yeah, we cheated. And see, okay. we, you know, we, we were going to take you. All you had to do was get to Missouri, and that's not that far from Dallas. Come on. Y'all, get out the map. He wanted me to go to Ohio Linux Fest. It was going to cost me $1,400 in gasoline to get there and back. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's because you drive a Panzer tank or something. I, you know, that's not my fault. It's just my little trucky. <laughs> my little green trucky. Well, I did want okay. to do one more thing before we move on, and that was um, I wanted to – I told – Dave and John Worley of Gamma Leonis way back when, when they did the intro and outro music for the podcast, that I would continue to mention them over time so people would go over to their site and download their music. Well, I've been neglectful, but I'm going to do that right now. So thank you, Dave, and thank you, John, even though there's no, uh, there's no vocals in our intro music, but that's okay. I know you're part of the group. I'm mentioning Gamaleonis again. There's, they put out new stuff almost every week. And go over there and check out their stuff. It's well worth a listen to. Lots of progressive rock, lots of jazz, lots of instrumentals, electronica, you name it. So check out Gamaleonis at www.gamaleonis.com. And the thing about it is, I'm sure our demographic, most of you are old enough to remember Pink Floyd before the wall. So if you like that, you're going to like these guys. And, yes, we've been remiss. Someone needs to spank our hands or whip us with a, a lobster. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to make it good, so we'll call it good. And, and I'm done now. I, I mean, I'm, I'm on in topics, so that's it for feedback and donations okay. and all that. Okay, we've wandered off the path. We've done some other stuff. So we might as well jump into a topic before we get too before we get too cold. We'll uh, y'all keep on uh, sipping on that soda. And so, what kind of topics did you bring to us this time around? All right, before we get into my topic, I'm going to do the little thing we talked about before the break, where I get Kent Ve4Keh's little bit about Ontario GNU Linux Fest in here. So we'll sit back for five or six minutes while we get a review on that. Then we'll come back on the other side where I rant about the evil empire. On arranging a workweek business trip to Toronto, Canada recently, I was delighted to find out that the Ontario GNU Linux Fest, OGLF for short, was scheduled for the weekend. The schedule promised several concurrent tracks with speakers talking on a variety of subjects such as security, FOSS in government and education, demos of BSD, Open Solaris, Ubuntu Netbook and Mobile and Remixes, and KDE 4.3. A few minutes on the interweb, and I had airline tickets and hotel rooms for my week of work and a weekend of Linux. The OGLF was held at the Days Hotel and Conference Center, Toronto Airport East, on the weekend of the 24th of October. The hotel is located off the beaten track in an ethnically diverse residential neighborhood. And as such, not only is it relatively inexpensive, but there's an interesting selection of restaurants close by. If you're restless, the rest of Toronto is within easy reach, even using public transit. The OGLF is modeled after the Ohio Linux Fest in that it's not a commercial affair. 
Sure, it has some commercial sponsors, but the talks and booths were generally by users or users. Of course, with four concurrent tracks, I was able only to sample the widely ranging topics. For example, in Linux Without Fear, Marcel Gagné used VirtualBox to introduce us to a rogues gallery of distros, emphasizing the pros and cons of each in terms of user-friendliness. Although Marcel recommended the clean, polished look of OpenSUSE for business, it's his proclamation of Linux Mint as the most user-friendly distro that prompted me to install it on my laptop recently. In Ubuntu, Netbook, and Moblin remixes, George Castro demonstrated these two ultralight distros on his netbooks. We marveled at not only the compactness of the desktops that these two distros present, but also the speed and integration they provide. We witnessed a sub-four-second time from power on to login, and another sub-four-second time to complete desktop on his netbook running the Karmic release of Ubuntu Netbook Remix. It was also remarkable to see how far Network Manager has come in GNOME. I know that Network Manager is often maligned and replaced with Wicked, for example. I think, however, that it can reclaim its place on the GNOME desktop again. In the ending keynote, A Musical Guide to the Future of Linux, Joe Zonker Brockmeyer took a humorous but accurate look at the limited success of some critically acclaimed musical artists and drew parallels with Linux. He also played a game with the audience in which he matched musical groups with various Linux distros. For example, Debian was best represented by The Velvet Underground. The Velvet Underground was an experimental rock band in the 60s and 70s who, although never commercially successful themselves, were an important influence on other, more successful groups. Of course, the OGLF wasn't all talking and learning. I purchased the obligatory OGLF golf shirt, grabbed a free OGLF coffee mug, got more live CDs than I could ever use, grabbed stickers of various distros so that I could pimp my laptop. I even got a set of those free BSD devil horns, which actually came in handy at Halloween. Liquid refreshments, snacks, and camaraderie were present at the Friday evening event before the fest. Saturday evening after the fest brought complimentary liquid refreshments, more snacks, and the opportunity to cement new friendships. I was fortunate to make the acquaintance of three young men who were active in the Linux community. And although it's refreshing to see young enthusiasts, faces of all ages were visible at the OGLF. If you'd like more information on the Ontario GNU Linux Fest, including links to videos of some of the talks, have a look at their website at onlinux.ca. That's Oscar November Lima India November Uniform X-Ray dot Charlie Alpha. 73 from Kent, Victor Echo 4, Kilo Echo Hotel. The first thing I had on the list was Ubuntu 9.10 Netbook Remix. And the only reason that was on the list is because I tried it out the other day. I have my Acer Triple E PC that originally I put Linux Mint on. And Linux Mint doesn't have a Netbook Remix, so it was just basically the normal Linux 7 install on my Netbook. Which seemed to work reasonably well, and we've been touting Mint over and over and over again since uh, episode, you know, whatever it is. And I still like Mint, you know, absolutely. I'm using it right now on my desktop here that I'm looking at that has all my notes for the show. So Linux Mint's still a viable option. But I wanted to try a Netbook Remix for my Netbook. So I went and, you know, I've put Ubuntu 9.10 on my work PC, so I figured, what the heck, they have a Netbook Remix. I'm going to try this on my Netbook. After four or five attempts to try and get the ISO image onto a thumb drive, 
I finally managed to get one that wasn't corrupted. Managed to get the netbook booted. And once it could actually read all the way through the thumb drive, it installed flawlessly. The only thing I have to say is there's not really too much to the netbook remixes. It looks very similar to Ubuntu 9.10 normally. Of course, it's designed for the smaller screens, and it's designed to give you easier access, like single-click access to some of your applications. Basically, you have your desktop is a big single-click menu in a netbook remix. So if you go and you want to use a sound application, you click on the sound button. It gives you all your available sound applications. You single-click on Banshee or Totem or whatever it is you want to start and it fires up. And the only problem I had with the Netbook Remix is the top taskbar was designed so that it only had a couple of icons on it. It had like the power icon and like my light levels and things like that. I did a quick upgrade after I did the install because not all the packages were up to date. And when I did that, it basically borked the top taskbar. But all I did was delete it and re-add it as a normal taskbar and everything worked perfectly. So you can, you know, use your same top pull-down menus like you would in a normal Ubuntu installation, or you can use that desktop menuing system. It gives you easy access to everything on your system pretty much, including the software manager, the control panel, your normal applications, Internet apps, blah, 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 blah. I really wish they would install Thunderbird by default instead of Evolution, that's one of the things I have a problem with Ubuntu about. I wish they would take care of that and deal with it properly. Otherwise, it's a small download. It fits easily on a 1-gig thumb drive. Uh, you can use an Ubuntu or a Mint installation to create your thumb drive image from uh, the Netbook Remix ISO. It installs in a very short period of time, less than 10 minutes. It's fast on boot up. It's fast in usage even has some of the uh, desktop enhancements of Compiz Fusion, if you want those, if you have a netbook fast enough to deal with them. So overall, I'm pretty impressed with uh, Ubuntu 9.10 Netbook Remix. So if you have a netbook, like a triple EPC or a Dell 10 or an HP or whatever, give it a try. you got to like that brown theme. you got to kind of like Ubuntu. It's not quite as pretty as Linux Mint, but it does work. It does give you easier access to your applications, which Linux Mint in a non-remix doesn't do. That's pretty much all I have to say about 9.10 Netbook Remix. Have you dealt with a Netbook, or are you going to try one, or what? Well, I keep trying to talk Brenda into you uh, letting me get her a Netbook for uh, doing the stuff that she does. She really doesn't need a full-size computer for that. And if she gets a Netbook, then I get to play with it. So, uh, no, I haven't had an opportunity yet. But I'm starting to get more and more uh, happy with these stripped-down uh, versions of some of these operating systems because I moved uh, the ongoing uh, laptop project. I moved it over to CrunchBang Linux a few days back, and uh, we will talk about that more in the future, either the near future or the uh, not-so-near future, but we will talk about it in the future. You know, a lot of people gripe about that brown Ubuntu theme. I, actually, it's gotten better over the years. Yeah, I think it has, too, and as it gets darker, it gets uh, better for me. I also like the startup screen now for uh, GNOME, for the for GDM. 
which is that sort of uh, ethereal-looking dark brown with the spotlight kind of look to it. I like that a lot. So that's what I... I mean, I've got another topic, but do you have a topic you want to talk about first so I'm not the one uh, you know, running on this whole episode? Well, it's my opinion, and I'm sure it's the opinion of the folks in the chat room and in the non-live audience also, is that you don't get a chance to talk enough because Richard... Richard is an extrovert. Well, Richard's not actually an extrovert, but he looks like an extrovert on the show. So what else you got, Russ? Well, I've got two other topics, and both of them are semi-rants, I guess. In the scroller on the video, which if you're listening to this in the released version, you can't see, one of the topics is listed as the evil empire. No, the other one. Because most people, when you say the evil empire, the first thing that pops into your head, and especially in the context of our show, is Microsoft. But I'm not talking about that evil empire. I'm talking about the other, the newer evil empire, the one that's putting Microsoft to shame at this point. Ah, Google. Yes, Google. (laughs) I knew you'd know what I was talking about when I said it. I figured that out all by myself. (laughs) Okay, well, and the reason I'm talking about the new evil empire is I heard today, as a matter of fact, about something that Google is doing. Now, Google is doing something all the time, but this is one of those things that makes Google evil. It's called Google DNS. If you haven't heard about Google DNS, this is something you should definitely take some interest in. And by taking an interest, I mean don't use it. This isn't to say that necessarily... DNS is an evil thing, or that Google using DNS or providing a DNS service is necessarily an evil thing, but it could turn into an evil thing very easily, as with most of the things that Google does. So I wanted to talk a little bit first about DNS, and since this sort of relates to the Internet and all computers in general, it's worth uh, talking about, and then my little rant about why you should not, under any circumstances, use Google DNS. So, DNS. Everyone knows what DNS is, right, even if they don't know what it does. It stands for the Domain Name Service, or the Domain Name System, and everyone knows what it pretty much does, which is takes that pretty little name for your domain, www.mydomain.com, and turns it into the address on the IPv4 or IPv6 internet so that your computer can actually get to where it's supposed to go. Seems pretty simple, and on the whole it is pretty simple. The technology has been around for quite a while, started with the ARPANET, and has evolved considerably as the internet has grown. Right now there are what are called root servers on the internet, And root servers are not really servers. They're actually clusters of servers that provide all of the what's called delegation for hostname lookups on the Internet. Uh, It sounds like a lot of mumbo-jumbo, but basically it's those are the giant telephone directories that tell you where to find the real telephone directory for the place you're trying to look up. you got to start somewhere. So right now you start with the root servers. There are 13 root server clusters scattered all over the world, and they're basically designed in a sort of round-robin fashion. You generally, when you do a hostname lookup using NSLOOKUP or DIG or whatever utility you happen to be using, first consult the root server, 
And the root server says, ah, oh, you're looking for, you know, lhsinfo.org. Well, if you're looking for lhsinfo.org, the authoritative name server for that is this host over there. So then you go to that host and you say, okay, where's lhsinfo.org? And it says, oh, I know what lhsinfo.org is. It's, you know, 67.224, blah, 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 blah. You get that IP address, then you know where you're going. Pretty simple stuff, pretty straightforward. The technology for actually running name services is very simple to set up and use these days. The ISC, which is the Internet Systems Consortium, maintains a DNS package called BIND, B-I-N-D. And right now it's in version 9. And you can run BIND on all kinds of platforms. Linux is a good example of one. It comes packaged in Ubuntu, Mint, Linux, uh, Debian, and every other Linux that has a packaging system in the universe. So if you want to install bind, you just apt get install bind, or bind 9, I think it is, actually, in uh, Debian and Ubuntu. And it takes, it's, uh, it's relatively secure, out of the box, particularly because it doesn't define any zones and doesn't really do anything out of the box. There's lots of tutorials on the Internet that tell you how to configure bind in order to do simple lookups. And everybody who has a computer of any kind can do name service lookup using bind or some other thing. Part of the problem with Google DNS is that bind is so ubiquitous. It's already relatively secure you know, in the sense that you have to know a little bit about what you're doing, preferably a little bit more than enough to make you dangerous. And once you once you know that much, the learning curve is pretty shallow. You can set up Bind, you can do your own name service, or you can use your Internet service provider or your web hosting provider's name service. They're already set up. They're already ready to go. Within 10 minutes, you can have your own zones, or use your ISP and web host zones. There are services out there like OpenDNS and now Google DNS, which you can use as well, but there's really no point, and I'm going to get to why in just a minute after I find out if Richard has anything to interject. Oh, no, keep going. In fact, I'm, I'm rather happy because I've had to deal with uh, installing Bind, and uh, actually my situation has been a whole lot better, but I don't think it's time to insert that story just yet. So keep on going, Russ. You 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 really getting the information in. <laughs> okay, well, I'm trying to make this uh, informational without being boring, and I have a feeling I'm failing miserably at that, but we'll keep on. And I'm not really going to go into the configuration of Bind. That's a topic for another episode if we really want to talk about it, because most people are not going to have to run their own Bind server. But if you want to run your own Bind server, you can. And as I said, if you go to the isc.org website, look up Bind, Configuration documentation is plentiful. Bind uses both UDP and TCP. If you don't know what those two things are, don't worry about the next minute or so. Because Bind is designed to be fast, you don't want to sit waiting for your computer to do these lookups. Bind uses UDP packets, which means it basically throws the information out there and doesn't do any checking or anything like that. There's, there's some minimal checking built into the name, the name resolution protocol, but it uses UDP specifically so it can send small packets 
and so it can be very fast and very efficient in doing lookups. Uh, the only time you really get into problems are when the name server for the host you're looking for is down and there's no backup. You're going to get timeouts then. They usually last from 30 to 60 seconds. So if you happen to type in www.mydomain.com and the name server for mydomain.com is down, then it's either not going to look up or it's going to take a long time to look up because it has to wait for the primary to fail and then look up for the secondary. So it's always good to have more than one name server for any particular domain. And any reasonable Internet service provider that provides DNS services is going to have more than one DNS server. In fact, they'll probably have three, four, five, or in the case of Yahoo and Google, 10, 20, or more, even clusters of DNS servers, just to make sure that the name resolution doesn't ever fail. As long as the servers are up, name resolution is fast. It's very fast. And in most cases, essentially instantaneous. I bring that up mostly because one of the reasons that Google says you should use their DNS is because it's faster. Well, the thing of it is, I'm not sure how it can be faster. I mean, DNS is already fast. It's designed to be fast. Yeah, Google has a lot of resources and they have a lot of computers to throw at the problem, but the biggest part of the latency in DNS is the actual network traffic passing the information back and forth between computers, not the actual lookup. I mean, you can do you can do a bind query on a Pentium 2400 that takes place pretty much instantaneously. So throwing computer resources is not going to make it any faster. It might be slightly more reliable because Google has gigantic clusters of computers to throw at the problem. So their DNS server, 8.8.8.8, is probably a 100 different DNS servers, or maybe even more, that all handle those requests. But DNS is designed already to be distributed and to be redundant. That's why it has the idea of having more than one DNS server. You want to be able to make sure that if that first DNS server is down, there's another one to go to. In any kind of critical situation, mission critical or not, if you're an Internet service provider, you're probably doing the same thing Google's doing. Maybe not with 100 servers, maybe you're only doing it with two or three, but you're going to make sure that you're redundant and that you're highly available. I mean, name service is important, and that's why it's built that way. Two of the big reasons, availability and speed, are pretty much out the window just by default. The other thing they address is security. Well, okay, DNS does have some security problems. In the past, there have been exploits for DNS. In bind version 9, they've pretty much fixed most of that stuff. And as long as you take a tiny modicum of care in configuring your bind server, you're not going to run into that kind of thing. And I think leaving your trust in something like OpenDNS or Google DNS is actually going to make DNS less secure. And the reason is there's this notion of what's called a DNS cache poisoning attack. Okay, well, what the hell is that? Well, what that is is if you're using, on your computer, Google's DNS server, 8.8.8.8, as your primary DNS. First of all, let me jump back a second. If you're, if you're dialing into your ISP or making a connection via your cable modem or DSL modem, 
they're providing you with a DNS server, probably more than one. And that DNS server is very likely to be your ISP's own DNS server or servers, hopefully more than one. And so when you do a lookup, you're connecting to your ISP's DNS server, and that is what's called authoritative for all of the things that your ISP controls. And then for the rest of the DNS queries, it goes out onto the Internet and checks out other authoritative servers for everything else, like for Yahoo, Google, Microsoft, whatever your ISP doesn't control. Now, you can change that. You can go into your settings and say, I don't want to use my ISP's DNS servers. I want to use Google's. I want to use 8.8.8.8. If you do that, then you're trusting Google to provide you with the proper information. DNS cache poisoning is essentially putting your faith in a DNS server that's giving you the wrong information. What's to say that Google can't say, when you look up www.yahoo.com, they give you the wrong address, and they send you to a site that looks like yahoo.com, but it's actually Google doing some phishing. Maybe they're just doing some, you know, accounting, checking out where you're going, and then they forward you on to the real address, or any other kind of attack like that. If your DNS server is giving you the wrong information, you could never know that you're being attacked. I don't want to suggest that Google would do this kind of thing. But why take the risk? Google's a huge corporation. They can make mistakes. There was an issue a while back where whoever controls the .com name server for the top-level domain made it so that if you mistyped any domain and wound up resolving a domain that doesn't exist that was a .com, they would redirect you to an advertisement page. So every failed .com lookup went to an ad. Now, the ICANN, I-C-A-N-N, got a little ticked about this and made them fix it. But you can see what kind of chaos this can cause. That's the kind of thing that worries me about a company like Google wanting to take over everything in the world, including DNS. Another big problem with Google DNS, and one that gives me the most concern, despite all of the other reasons why you probably shouldn't use it, much of the code that they're, that Google is coming out with lately has been open-sourced. However, Google DNS is not. And if you can't get in there and figure out what they're doing, what information they're keeping a hold of, what kind of analytics they're they're dealing with, that you don't know about, it'll probably be buried in their acceptable use policy and their their EULA. And if you don't read the licensing information, which no one ever does, you know, who knows what information they're keeping tabs on. And without open source, no one can get in there and figure out either. Only Google will know. So if, you know, if there was ever any other reason to tack on to the ones already mentioned, there's a pretty good one. If they decide to open up the source on this... I might be less inclined to badmouth it, uh, but for right now, we'll call it the fourth reason not to use Google DNS. So while I don't think they're necessarily or maliciously going to try usurping DNS traffic, it's so easy to set up and it's so easy to use public domain servers that already exist. Level 3 has them, Verizon has them, your ISP has them, they're publicly available, and particularly the ones for your ISP are available specifically for you when you connect to your internet service provider, 
there is no need, and you should definitely not trust Google DNS. And that is my rant about Google. <laughs> well, you know what? It's good to know things like that. And, in fact, um, a lot of the folks listening to us, I'm sure the, a lot of the folks that are in the chat room tonight are probably familiar with this stuff, but a lot of the people out there uh, – listening to us that are fresh to Linux and stuff probably don't understand that you can run a DNS server on one of your machines at your location. And uh, I found this out when uh, we have a a cable provider out here in my part of the world that changes ownership about every two years. And with the last change of ownership, all of a sudden the DNS searches started uh, failing and it was really starting to become an issue with me, so I went ahead and installed Bind on one of the machines here. So it's my primary DNS uh, address, followed up by one of the addresses for the uh, for the uh, cable provider out here, who apparently hooks into the DNS system in Colorado somewhere, and it may or may not be up or down. And considering I go mostly the same places most of the time, and having the DNS server on one of my machines here, uh, things run lightning quick. Now, Google's a lot of, got a lot going on for it. Unfortunately, they are in the business of collecting statistics. And uh, we use a feed burner over to other show to keep our statistics for us. And Google took them over, and number one, they screwed the whole program up. And number two, now they know what kind of downloads we're getting and stuff which is probably sad for them because I ripped all the Google ad stuff off of the other site because we had it on there for over two years and never received a dime. So y'all uh, y'all be careful with this kind of stuff, and it's easy enough to run your own DNS server, and it uh, is not going to bog your system down, and it can probably help you out. Uh, Russ is right. There's so much stuff going on with Google. They are turning into the uh, the second evil empire or the rise of the new evil empire or something yahoo'd be doing it if they could get away with it so it's totally the uh, big game in town now before it's over with who knows somebody like microsoft might get into it (laughs) Ah, okay so with that we've been going for quite a while and russ russ needs to get his get his his wet cloth out and mop his forehead because I can tell, I can tell it was really wearing on him. That's the problem with the video. I can see the lines are forming on his face. I don't know if it's the show or just the fact that he's past 40, but we're going to contemplate that and we'll be be right back. Take the road less traveled by 
Gotta wait in line And I sure took the long way around Didn't I? Just me and the snow plows out on a soda night. Faith locks on to my front bumper, drags me home to your door. Now that you've noticed my impatience, now that I know you're someone I could hang around, I hope you'll send your thoughts my way coming back in town You're one of the original Making it up the rules Gotta do things different Just like all those other different folks And I sure took the long way around Didn't I? And we're going to make the run down to the wire, y'all. And uh, I thought I would update y'all on my uh, computer project. Uh, as I was telling Russ earlier before we uh, started the programs rolling and recording and everything, I've been living and breathing D-Rats all week long around here. Uh, here a while back, I told y'all about a project that I was going to embark upon, which uh, had to do with a laptop computer that uh, I ended up in possession of. It's an older machine doesn't have a lot of memory in it. It's only got a 6-gig hard drive in it. And, in fact, for those of y'all that are with us in the chat room tonight, you'll see that it even has a D-Link PC-MCIE card for wireless Internet because it doesn't even, it is so old, it doesn't even have an Ethernet port on it. Uh, it has one serial port and one USB port. And a couple other ports that I can't quite identify. I think that one's a docking port. And uh, 
here's a, here's the only modular plug on it, and I know it's probably kind of distorted or kind of hard to see, but that's a phone jack, y'all. I do have a have a card to plug it into the network here. This is a Dell Latitude. Uh, it's a Dell Latitude CPT. I don't know why it has that designation, but it does. Went ahead and started off with a copy of uh, Zubuntu, Zubuntu Linux, and uh, ran it for a little while and was running into some issues, especially when I proceeded to load DRATS on this machine. Now, for those of you who don't, don't know what DRATS is, DRATS is a D-Star digital program put out by a fellow named uh, Dan Smith, uh, KK7... Oh, I, I can't even remember what it is. KK7DS. Um, yeah, that's it. Proceeded to get it set up. However, I was having issues with Ubuntu. Now, those of you who have run Ubuntu know that occasionally when they come out with a new, a new version, they have a fresh release. It does have a couple bugs still left in it. Nothing like Windows, but it does have them. And I was having a lot of issues with Ubuntu. It's my, and now on my Ubuntu machine, which I haven't upgraded yet, I'm still running 9.04 on it. It runs pretty much the way it's supposed to. Finally, in frustration, I went ahead and uh, installed or set it up to dual boot with CrunchBang Linux. So now we're running CrunchBang Linux, and it is chugging right along. There are some issues on the Linux side, which uh, some of it's the uh, programming, because Dan's got a little bit too much going on at once over there. But it is running. I've had it running over here for a week. I've plugged it into the Ratflector. Uh, we have uh, talked to Italy. We have talked to some guys over on the East Coast. Uh, one guy crossing Lake Champlain, and uh, it's working well. We're even we're even able to get the repeater to work. Oh yes, the DRAF reflector program. Set up your own repeater. The thing that works for me on this is the fact that it runs very much. When you have the two pieces in place, it runs very much like a packet BBS system hooked into a node, some kind of node software. For those of you who used to run packet, we would be talking something like uh, F6FBB running through a copy of BPQ node. Now, I'm going to continue to work with this. I'm going to continue to bring you all this information. Uh, our goal here is to set up a packet to D-Star to Internet Gateway when I'm sure that it's uh, running stable. I will give you all the addresses. We already have a couple of addresses set up so you all can check it out. Uh, I just need to make sure this is going to be up and running and stable before I go ahead and hand that information out. But you all stay tuned to Linux and the Ham Shack, and we will keep you posted as things progress. So, Russ, do you have anything on that? No, you know I'm still a noob on the digital modes. Still getting into it, working on it, though. Be interested to try out that thing once you get it hooked up and on the Internet, though, and publicized. A lot of people are, uh, well, <laughs> a whole bunch of people are new to D-Star. Uh, D-Star is not taking off the way that they thought they would because the uh, there's been a lot of negative press as far as it being a closed source, the gateway being closed source and that kind of stuff. Uh, let me say this, uh, DRATS is open source. It is written in Python. It is written in 100% Python. So if you have 
a machine that has a copy, a fairly fresh copy of Python on it. You put DRATS on there, it's supposed to run like it's supposed to. And you don't even have to have a D-Star radio if you know where to point it. It is packet aware. It will run on a D-Star radio. It will run on a digital voice dongle. And, heck, if you know where the gateways are, you don't even have to have a D-Star radio of any kind. You just plug into the reflector and have at it. ET phone home. Russ phone home. Because I think there's a couple stations up there in New Hampshire. See how long the lag is, because he'll laugh in a minute. <laughs> Not working. Anyway, <laughs> it, wor- it worked that time. All right. So uh, anybody in the chat room got questions? Do Russ have any questions? I have no questions. I did not make it happen 10 minutes, did I? No. We could, like, jump around and act stupid. (laughs) No. We did that. How would that be different from the usual? In the chat room, we were asking if there were any more questions before we close the show, and uh, KB3CDA brought up the fact that he has a Telnet BBS online and would like y'all to come take a look at it. I believe it's a HTML website, so y'all go check it out. That would be www.phantombbs.net. www.phantombbs.net. Y'all go by and check it out. Thank you all for bearing with us tonight. Uh, Russ is tired. I'm tired. Everybody's tired. We're going to try and be more peppy three days before Christmas. We'll see how that works out. <laughs> but... Y'all hang loose. We're gonna rip. We're gonna rip rip one down to the end, and y'all just hang on because Richie's getting ramped up. You wondering where the Red Bull is? You're rubbing his face like a madman, like got to beat you bugs. I would really like to thank Russ for pulling me pulling me out of a bad situation this time around, because I like I said I've been living and breathing uh, D rats all week long, and we came down to the show and I really didn't have a whole lot for you, and it's good to hear Russ talking some of the time so that uh, y'all don't have to listen to me because I know y'all get tired of my grady whiny voice. Uh, my name is Richard, KB5JBV. If you want to get a hold of me, you can contact me at KB5JBV at BlackSparrowMedia.com. Or I am available on Twitter, Identica, and Friend Feeds for sure as KB5JBV. I'm also available on Facebook as KB5JBV. Y'all come by and uh, and check out what's going on over there. Uh, we also now have a Facebook page for the show, but I'm going to let Russ tell y'all about that. So I got the email, the social networking sites, and a teaser about the Facebook page. So let me turn it over to Russ, and he can give y'all his information. Yes, this is Russ, K5TUX. If you want to contact me, email K5TUX at BlackSparrowMedia.com. Make sure to go to the website, leave a comment, leave a question. If you want, we'll try and answer it. Give us a call. Toll-free number, 888-455-0305. Leave a voicemail with comment, question, or suggestion. We'll get your name on the air. We'll get your comment on the air as well, unless you tell us you don't want to. The website's been updated. We now have a Facebook page. There's not much on it yet, but it'll get updated as I have time to update it. If you go to the lhsinfo.org page, go to the right-hand column, and look, you can follow us on Twitter, you can follow us on Ustream.tv, and you can follow us and become a fan 
on Facebook. Just click the links. It's as easy as that. Also, you can find me on various social networks. Use the name J.R. Woodman for Twitter, Identica, Facebook, MySpace, FriendFeed, Ping.fm, Foursquare. And something I've been neglecting is if you want to use J.R. Woodman, you can find me on Xbox 360. That's my gamer tag. So if you happen to have the Microsoft Evil Empire Xbox 360 and like to play games, I'm on there sometimes, so look me up using J.R. Woodman. Also, I happen to use my call sign, K5TUX, on N7ICE's 73s.org. So go ahead and friend me over there. That's the only place I use my call sign. Don't know why I did it that way, but that's the way I did it. Anyway, send us a voicemail, 888-455-0305. Send an email. Friend us on the various social networks. Find me on Xbox Live. And don't forget the forums over at BlackSparrowMedia.com. And also, don't forget to come by the website at www.lhsinfo.org. lhsinfo.org. The only non-Japanese site on the Black Sparrow Media Network. So with that, I'm Richard down here in the bunker in Balt Springs, Texas. And two-thirds of the way to Dayton Hamvention. Make sure to send in those donations. Every little bit helps. This is Russ, atop one of the peaks in the pine forests of north central Arkansas. And y'all have a great and wonderful Christmas and Hanukkah. We'll see y'all next time. Bye.